Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Good morning, Covenant Grace Church. We're in a new series on relationships called Reunited, and we're calling it Reunited in the hopes that we're about to enter a season of reunions, reunions with friends and family and school and work, and even as a church. And we know that as people reunite, there's all kinds of challenges. I mean, relationships are complicated anyway. Our relationship skills have likely atrophied during this time of social isolation. And this whole coronavirus situation presents us with new challenges. I mean, the the numbers, the coronavirus numbers are not down, um, but we can't really put all our relationships on hold until they do come down. We could be in this situation for quite some time. And so we have to learn how to adapt to a new environment, and we're gonna have to put a lot more effort into thinking through ways that we can connect with one another that show respect and care for one another. And so we're gonna spend several weeks learning from Jesus, the master uh, of relationships. And last week we started where Jesus always starts. Jesus always starts on questions of relationships. He'd always start in Genesis 2. And we saw in that passage that God designed us with a need for friendship. We have all been designed with a need for friendship. This week, we're gonna actually see that that need for friendship is actually a matter of life and death. And you might say, life and death, that sounds kind of dramatic. And I can be dramatic at times, those of you who know me, I can be dramatic at times, but I'm not being dramatic this time. Take a look at our text, it's in Hebrews 3, 12 through 14, and it says this. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold fast our original confidence firm to the end. You can see that that's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of eternal life and death. So it doesn't get more life and death than that. And he says here that we should take care. In the first beginning of this verse 12, he says, Take care, brothers and sisters. That word Adelphoi, that Greek word that's translated brothers and sisters, it refers to Christian brothers and sisters. And so this warning in verse 12 is a warning to professing Christians. Not that everybody that read the letter of Hebrews originally or even now are all Christians, but they're people that would identify themselves as Christians. And so this warning is to God's covenant people, the church, not to fall away from the faith. And it's probably a good idea before I begin here to do kind of a mini theology breakout here on perseverance or perseverance of the saints. I just wanna give you a little bit of background. Jesus taught that perseverance in the faith is essential for final salvation. He taught that perseverance in the faith, continuing to believe and follow him, is essential for final salvation. Matthew 24, 12, Jesus spoke of a time when lawlessness would increase and he says, The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So you can see there that perseverance in the faith is essential for final salvation. And that's why in the book of Hebrews and other places, you see lots of warnings about falling away. Perseverance in the faith is essential. Secondly, Jesus taught that perseverance is provided by God to all true Christians. In John 10, 28, Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And so that John chapter 10, it's about Jesus being the good shepherd, and as a good shepherd, the best shepherd, he never loses a sheep. And so anyone who's been truly born again, anyone who is truly trusted in him, any real Christians, 
he will keep. They will never perish, and no one can snatch them out of his hands. Philippians 1.6 says similarly, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so perseverance is essential for final salvation, but also perseverance is provided by God to all true Christians. When someone falls away from the faith then, it's not because they lost their salvation. True salvation can't be lost. It's because they never truly had saving faith in the first place. And notice that's the logic of verse 14. Take a look at verse 14 in our text in Hebrews 3. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm until the end. Notice the tenses in here. He says that we have received something in the past if something happens in the future, which is perseverance. We have past tense come to share in Christ if in the future tense we hold fast firm until the end. And so verse 14 is saying that our future perseverance verifies our past tense union with Christ. So the fact that we persevere all the way in is what shows that we were truly united with Christ in the beginning. Or to put it the other way around, if we don't hold fast to Christ firm until the end, it shows that we were never truly united with him in the first place. Which is what John says in 1 John 2.19. He explains why some of them had left the faith then, and he says this, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain that they were never really of us. And so when you see people and they walk away from the faith, which happens, and you guys I'm sure have seen this happen, it happens frequently, we don't say that person's you know, lost their salvation. What we would, the only thing we could say about that, you know, if we, if we know them well and it's persistent all the way to their death, is that they never really knew him. Or as Jesus says, I never knew you. Right? This doctrine is called the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints says that all who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians all the way to the end. So all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians all the way to the end. So perseverance is essential. Perseverance is provided by God. And guys, we live in a time that requires immense perseverance. <laughs> Do you feel that? Do you feel like you're in a time that requires immense perseverance? I mean, we're seeing right now as Christians are holding fast to Christ, even with the difficulties of church and life, and, and, but they're hanging on. What we're seeing is we're seeing the perseverance of the saints in action. Uh, the saints, we do need to persevere, don't we? You feel the need. Where do we get more perseverance? The Bible has a lot of answers on that, but Hebrews 3 is interesting in the answer it gives for where do we get perseverance to continue following Jesus. And the answer in Hebrews 3 here is that God doesn't like provide it by like direct injection. He gives it through Christian friendship. Take a look at verse 13. He says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That but there shows that it's a solution to the, the danger in verse 12. And so how does God provide per, the perseverance we need? He provides it through a band of Christian friends called the church. It's through exhorting one another. And, and this is the amazing thing, guys, is that God will use your verbal encouragement to give other people the perseverance they need to keep following Jesus. God will do that through you. That's what verse 13 is talking about. And it's amazing when you think about it that God would dispense 
his persevering grace to keep somebody following Jesus and keep them firm in the faith, he, he would dispense that persevering grace through your words, through your mouth. It's amazing. And it's an awesome responsibility. Did you realize that you have that kind of responsibility to your friends in this church? Did you realize that? Church is often seen as, as maybe a performance, you know, like a theater, or it's seen as a business, like a marketplace. But the Bible says that the, the church is really a family. It's a relationship. And those family members have obligations to one another. So if you go to a theater, you know, you don't have any obligation to them. You pay your money, they give you a service, you know. Or a business, same thing, no obligation. But in a family, we have obligations. And one of our obligations is to exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. Did you realize that you had that kind of responsibility to the people in this church? And notice that I said responsibility to. That wording was chosen really carefully. You have a responsibility to them. You don't have a responsibility for them. Okay, God is responsible for their perseverance. Okay, and we saw that Jesus promises that. God is responsible for their perseverance, but you are responsible to them to give them the encouragement that God uses to persevere them. So your responsibility to them, uh, not for them. God's responsible for them, but you're responsible to give them that encouragement. And our main hindrance, guys, in living this out is really or deeply ingrained individualism. We have been trained over years to focus on the needs and desires of ourselves and our immediate family to the exclusion of others. We've been trained to be individualistic over years. And technology has made that easier than ever. I mean, you can you know, get all your entertainment you want through streaming at home. You can uh, order all the stuff you might wanna get um, through Amazon at home. You can even order food to come to your house through Grubhub or something like that at home. The, the technology's never made it easier for us to live isolated lives. In that isolated individualism, it's the air we breathe, isn't it? And it's gone deep into us and it's influenced all of us. Even us as Christians, we've been influenced by that isolated individualism. And this kind of cultural tide that's kind of like a riptide has been kind of dragging us away from each other over years, all of a sudden was snapped into completion in March, wasn't it? And so we have been trained to isolate ourselves socially over years and years, and then all of a sudden, we were forced to isolate ourselves physically. That was actually a completion of a process that's been happening over time. And, um, and, and we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware that we're actually being discipled by our culture, we're actually being shaped, we're actually being taught to live as isolated individuals, not as the family of friends that God has designed the church to be. And you can do a simple test to figure out how much you have been discipled into that individualism by asking yourself this question. And I want you to honestly ask this question to your own self. How many people in our church do you feel personally responsible to, to encourage them daily? And I'll ask you that again. How many people in our church, and I want you to like think of actual names and name them off on your fingers, um, how many people in our church do you feel personally responsible to, to encourage them daily? And my fear is that for many American Christians, the, the list would be less than, less than five. It's not going to be the whole church. It's not going to be a large amount of the church. And maybe none that they would feel personally responsible to, to encourage them daily. 
Remember Cain's question in Genesis 4? He said, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer from Hebrews 3 is, yes, you are. Look at verse 13. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. And you might say, well, what is this exhortation? What does this word mean? Because this isn't something that we normally use every day. We don't talk about exhorting. Exhorting means to strongly encourage. It's encouragement, but with a sense of urging. Strongly encouraging or urging somebody. And you might ask, well, what kind of words do I use when I do this? What kind of encouragement do I do? And, and the best way to ask that is think of the friend you need to exhort and think of what kinds of attacks does your friend face? This text here focuses on the attacks that come from within. You know, John said that we get attacks from the world, the flesh, and the devil. This particular attack is the flesh attack. This is the attack from within. Look at verse 12. The attack is from an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Or verse 13, the attacks from a hardening by the deceitfulness of sin. And so the attack your friend faces and we all face is an increasingly evil, unbelieving, hardened heart. Because guys, sin's attacks come from within. Um, we might like to believe that somehow, you know, there's, there's just good and bad people and we can divide the world into good people and bad people. But the truth is, guys, that we're all divided inside. Um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn in his book, The Gulag Archipelago, said this, If only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. Like, that would be simple. But he says this, But the line dividing good and evil cuts right through the heart of every human being. The line dividing good and evil cuts right through the heart of every human being. In Romans 7, Paul talked about the remaining sin in his heart as like an insurgent enemy that had dug into the recesses of his heart and was just waiting for an opportunity to strike out against him. And sin attacks us subtly, right? Sin attacks us through an internal propaganda campaign of lies and misinformation. It attacks us through a process of lies and like verse 13 says, a hardening by the deceitfulness of the lies of sin. At its root, guys, sin is a preference for anything other than God. It's a preference to something else above God and more important than God to us. Sin is the opposite of faith. Faith is preferring God over everything else. Sin is a preference to anything over God. And that kind of preference to anything over God is insane, right? Because God is the best of all beings. Everything about him is better than sin. Everything God commands is better than sin. Everything he promises is better than sin. And so if we're going to prefer sin over God, we're going to have to be fed a whole bunch of lies first. And that's what this passage says happens, is sin lies to us. Sin also hardens us. Look at verse 13 again. It says we're hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That hardening, it's a gradual process. It's a, it's a growing in insensitivity to God's presence and his purposes and his promise. You know, when you're getting hardened by sin, you just stop feeling or caring about God. In the same way, leprosy removes the sensation in a victim's skin before the skin sloughs off. A sin hardens us to sensation to God. We just don't feel or care for God as we used to. Jesus called this process also cooling. In Matthew 24, he said that lawlessness will increase and the love of many will grow cold. Uh, that's our main enemy, right? Our main enemy is apathy and coldness. Not atheism, but apathy is our greatest threat. In the book of Daniel, it's called being worn down. 
In Daniel 7, 25, it talks about the enemy and that the enemy will speak words against the Most High and will wear out the saints of the Most High. The, the lies of sin gradually erode our faith in Jesus. They gradually erode our agreement with Jesus' commands. And they gradually erode our desire for what he promises. The writer of Hebrews not only talked about this as hardening, but he talked about it as drifting. If you take a look at Hebrews 2.1, it says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And that term drift away there is a, is a term that was used of nautical, of like an anchor. So you might take your ship and bring it into port and put your anchor down and maybe go to sleep for the night. And while you were sleeping, the anchor kind of gave way and your ship started to drift and you wouldn't feel it, right? Ship would slowly drift. You wake up in the morning, you wonder how you got so far from port. That happens in our relationships, right guys? Friendships drift. Parent-child relationships drift. Marriages drift. Our relationship with Christ drifts. Not that he goes anywhere, but we drift away from him. And I just want to ask you this morning, guys, do you feel any of these things in your own heart? Do you feel hardening? Do you feel less sensitive to God's presence and his promises? Do you feel cool towards him? Do you feel a growing apathy towards him? Do you feel worn down? You know that things within you are eroding in this time of difficulty. Have you drifted? It's happening all around you. I don't know if you guys realize it or not, but it's happening all around you. And there's something extremely corrosive to our faith about the culture and what's going on right now. It might be happening to you right now. And if so, guys, treat it with extreme urgency. Hebrews 2.12, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day. And so you might ask, well, how do we exhort against this kind of thing in our friends? How do we exhort them in a way that would protect them from this? And what's cool is we don't really have to guess what the writer of Hebrews meant by exhortation, and we don't have to guess what it looks like. If you look at the very end of Hebrews, if you turn to the back to, to chapter 13, verse 12, you'll see what he calls his letter. And he says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written to you briefly. So this whole letter, this whole book is actually a book of exhortation. And so if you want to learn how to exhort people, all you need to do is read the book of Hebrews and watch him. Watch this master exhorter exhort and see how he does it. And maybe even just text some of the verses or speak some of the verses from this book to people. But you'll notice he does two things. He exposes the lies of sin and he also exposes the beauty of Christ. We expose the lies, of sin, the lies of sin in each other when we notice the hardening, when we notice the cooling, when we notice them being worn out and drifting. I mean, if you know people really well and you're really in their lives, you can see these things happen. You can notice the subtle lies that sin is telling them. You might ask yourself with friends that you're called to exhort in this church, you might ask, what unique temptations does my friend face at this current life stage because there's different temptations with different stages of life right what lies are they tempted to believe or maybe ask this question what in what ways are they uniquely prone to discouragement is it in their work is it in their marriage is it with their money is it with their failing health like where do the discouragements come from that wear them down and cool them and harden them towards christ is it in their parenting is it in the daily news drama is it in 
a disability they have, or a constant temptation they experience, or a chronic pain, or difficulties with brain chemistry, you know, uh, anxiety, depression, things like that, with guilt um, that they can't seem to get past, or from past hurts, or, or failed ambitions, you know, where are they prone to be discouraged? Where can you give courage to them. I love that word encourage because the word basically means add courage, you know, that people need courage. And I know, you know, you look at all of us in the church and all your friends that are in Cub Grace and you think, you know, they look pretty good. They look like they're doing fine, but they're not. (laughs) Most people are falling apart inside at some point throughout the week. Everyone carries discouragement. Everyone needs a fresh infusion of courage in Christ. And that's what exhortation does. I love Isaiah 50, verse 4. It says this, The Lord God has taught me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Isn't that beautiful? That the Lord can teach us to sustain with a word those who are weary. Isn't that awesome? God will strengthen his people through your words. God will give persevering grace through your mouth. So ask the Lord, ask the Lord. This would be one thing to do too. Read the Hebrews and then ask the Lord for a specific word for your friend. It's amazing how often if we'll pray and say, Lord, give me a word for him. Give me a word for her. How often he'll reveal to us things that we couldn't have known about their hearts that God reveals that we can speak to great encouragement. And and then even more than exposing sin's lies, the writer of Hebrews exposes the beauty of Christ. And I love how he does this. Notice the definition of faith in verse 14. He says, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm until the end. I love that synonym he's using for faith there. And the word is confidence. Faith is fundamentally confidence in Christ, isn't it? You know, if you think about your faith being higher or lower, or your faith is struggling or doing well, what is it? It's confidence in Christ. Let me ask you this this morning. How is your confidence in Christ? Is it stronger or weaker than your original confidence? Like it says in verse 14. How is your confidence in Christ? How might you encourage your friends in this church to have more confidence in Christ? The writer of Hebrews builds our confidence in Christ by exposing to us the beauty of Christ. The more we see his beauty, the more we have confidence in him. That whole letter of Hebrews, I I would just challenge you, take a read of it this afternoon even. The whole letter of Hebrews can be summarized with one word, which is better. Jesus is better. You should put your confidence in him because he's better. So what I did with the rest of this message is I just looked at the word confidence in the book of Hebrews, and I found some things that we should have confidence in Christ for. Here's the first one. Have confidence in Jesus' ready help. Hebrews 4.14 says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our, our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been in every respect tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then he says this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Through Jesus's life and death and resurrection, Jesus has actually turned the great white throne that we would face in judgment into now a throne of grace. He's taken that great white throne that you would have faced and he's turned it in to a throne of grace. That throne, that great white throne where we had to answer for our sin has been turned into a throne of grace where he answers our prayer. Isn't that amazing? Have confidence 
in Jesus's ready help. Have confidence in Jesus's ready access. Look at verse Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus has given us, opened up the way to God for us. By dying on the cross, he has opened up the way back to God and he's given us access. And I love how this passage talks about he's given us access with a clear conscience. One of the greatest gifts of the cross, guys, is a conscience that's clear that we can approach him confidently, that we can have confident access. So be confident in Jesus's ready access. Be confident in Jesus's promised future. Hebrews 10.35 says this, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. Don't you? <laughs> you have need of endurance, so that you, after you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Let's have confidence, guys, in Jesus's promised future. You know, we just finished with Exodus, and in Exodus, we, I repeated over and over again that we too are headed to a true promised land, and it's a real land. Um, you can read about it in Revelation 21 and 22. Jesus' promises are better than all the broken promises of sin. Amen? Jesus' promises are better than all the broken promises of sin. Guys, Jesus' promises of that real land is better than all the best promises of either the East or the West. I'll explain what I mean. In Eastern religion, um, most Eastern religions, what they promise is an impersonal spiritual end. So your soul kind of dissolves into a wonderful nothingness, right? It's an impersonal spiritual end. All your relationships, all your friendships die. It's an impersonal spiritual end. Western atheism gives you an impersonal physical end. You know, all relationships die because there is nothing after death. It's just, you're dead. But guys, Jesus' promise is that we're headed to a land, a city. He promises that we'll be reunited, that our friendships will just be getting started. Um, our friendship with Jesus, our friendships with each other will just be getting started. You look at Revelation 22, and it shows us reunited, walking along the river of life to the throne of God, talking and laughing, enjoying one another, enjoying the presence of Jesus, enjoying the presence of all who have made the journey before and after us. And we'll be so thankful, guys, for the band of friends, this band of friends, the church, and all the ways that we had exhorted one another to persevere. And we're going to enjoy the fruit of that exhortation in each other. We're going to look at one another and say, we made it. We're done. We made it. And I think we're going to say to one another, thank you so much for helping me make it here. It was your word at that time in 2020, or it was your word on that date that, that kept me going. And I'm here because of your exhortation that God used you to give me persevering grace. And we're going to be so thankful for that in each other. Ultimately thankful for God, but thankful also to the instruments, us, that he has used in one another's lives. Guys, we're going to be reunited. It's going to be worth it. Keep going. <laughs> we're going to make it there together. Let's pray. Father, we don't know how much longer the journey will be. Um, this journey could be over soon. It could be over sooner than we all expected. 
or it could be well beyond our lives. But however long this road is, and no matter how hard the next stretch is, we pray, Lord, that you would make us faithful to you and to each other. Lord, make us care about the perseverance of all the saints in our church. Help us care about the perseverance of these people. Give us this urgency that we see in Hebrews 3 to exhort one another every day. Help us to think of each other, not as isolated individuals, but as a family, Lord. A family that we're all called in responsibility to. Give us the desire and strength and wisdom to work towards being reunited. Make us willing to endure any hardship, any challenges of being truly skilled Christian friends for each other. Lord, give us the desire, give us the wisdom, give us the strength to do these things. Fulfill your promise, Lord, to build a people that are a light to the nations. We so greatly desire to see that happen in our church and in the churches of this valley and in the churches of this city and state and world, Lord, that, that your churches would shine as a light. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to hold up the beauty of Jesus as a community of people, as a community of friends, that would light the way home for all those who are lost in the dark. And we pray this for the glory and honor and praise of our treasure, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Exhort one another daily, as long as it is called today. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.